isn't just a nice to have or we want to be sexy. It's about because it's memorable and it will drive real growth. And that's really important to me. And I think those tactics work in consumer and B2B. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Mark Cullen, who is CMO of the consultancy firm Simon Kucher. Mark, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Not bad, and thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to it. I hope I can give you some good stuff. <laughs> I have every confidence you can, especially with the subject matter that we're going to be talking about today. But before we jump into that, um, I've given you a brief introduction. I've named the company, but I've not really gone much beyond that. So the floor is yours. If you just want to take 30 seconds or so, give people who are tuning in a little bit of background into who Mark Cullen is. Hello, everyone. I've been in marketing for about 35 years. I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Uh, I started in agency side many years ago working for publicists. And that's where I cut my teeth in big advertising campaigns, direct marketing campaigns, learned an awful lot for companies like Fiat, Mars, Procter & Gamble. Then spent a number of years in financial services, working for firms such as NatWest, Churchill Insurance, The Nodding Dog, uh, and doing some great work for some of those companies. And over the last few years, I've specialized in uh, professional services, working for Ernst & Young on their financial services side of the business, about $11 billion business. Uh, and latterly, I've been working for wonderful Simon Kucher, which very few people, I guess, will have heard about for now. But I think a lot more people will be hearing about over the next few years. And to put that into perspective, I've been appointed a chief marketing officer in the last year or so to rebrand the firm and really tell the story of what an incredible job it does on growing businesses. The big difference between ourselves and an EY or a KPMG is they're great firms, they do amazing work. I've worked with a number of them, but they work largely on the cost reduction side. That's where they focus in. They create growth by reducing costs, working on supply chain. Simon Kucher is a little bit different. Founded in Germany in 1985, it comes from academia, and a wonderful guy called Herman Simon, who's still around, still a huge driver of this business, and he had an idea. How can I help businesses grow by looking at their products, their pricing, their customers, and help them on that positive side of growth to really drive customer advocacy and create great products, sell them well at prices that people want to pay for and love and keep coming back for. So we work across five sectors in 27 countries and we're about 2,000 strong. My job over the next year or two is to make us a little bit more famous for the great work we're doing. Sorry for the plug, everybody, but it's worth just putting that in there. It was a bit of a plug. I'm I'm not going <laughs> to disagree with you there, but you know, at least it was a comprehensive synopsis. And for those people that are tuning in, maybe from outside of the UK, the the nodding dog that was referred to there is iconic. For, I think for anybody that would have been around in the '90s, it was a dashboard bulldog. Um, which nodded up and down, um, and I think also had a catchphrase to advertise Churchill Insurance. So fond memories for me, um, probably not for our producer who grew up in America and is utterly bamboozled by what on earth we've just been talking about. Um, so 
what I found was interesting, I think, as you started your story, that you came from the world of consumer, and actually, reading mm. between the lines at the very, very beginning of where you were, you were in FMCG, um, FMCG marketing and consumer marketing more generally, rightly or wrongly, has that reputation for being that slightly sexier um, sibling um, to B two B marketing, uh, which brings us on to the topic of conversation today. I think that over the past five i mean to be honest 10 years as long as i can remember b2b marketers and also b2b audiences have bemoaned the lack of creativity within um, b2b marketing they've called for it to be more emotive they've called for it to be more creative um and really there hasn't been that much significant pro progress so if there is the call for more creativity if there is the appetite from the people doing it to be more creative and we've not achieved it then for me, I think the provocative truth is, is that marketers need to look at themselves and say, well, why have we not made, managed to make this a reality? Um, do you think that actually marketers need to bear some responsibility for this lack of progress? Yeah, look, um, the easiest thing in the world is to nod your head in a brief meeting or a creative meeting and go, that'll do. You have to be brave. You have to really look for the insight that's going to make a difference to you and your market. And that always starts with the audience, whether you're in FMCG and consumer or whether you're in B2B. Who's your audience? What are they interested in? Nobody likes to be bored. Nobody likes to read 160 page reports. People want to be entertained, informed and educated. And those three words are really, really key in trying to get really good creative work out there. So in the US, I think last year, it was a $32 billion ad industry on B2B alone. I defy anybody to name the top three ads they remember in B2B. Compare that to consumer. All of us will have our favorite consumer ad. And by the way, I'm not talking about big creative TV advertising. I'm talking about something that caught your eye on LinkedIn, something that caught your eye on a digital page. Something that really grabbed you and you went, oh, that's made me stop. That's made me think. So I do think marketeers have a responsibility. One, to challenge the norm of the category and be willing to say, maybe there is a better way. Maybe we need to challenge this. Maybe we should try a more creative rap. But as soon as you do that, you start to take risk. Personally, you take risk. Uh, because you're pushing something that's not the perceived norm, you're changing the orthodoxy. And I think all of us around marketing, our job is to challenge, to really push the envelope. Now, you can't do that with everything, but you should be able to do it with your big stuff, the things mm -hmm. that really matter, whether that's top of funnel, driving MQLs at bottom of funnel, or just trying to build brand awareness around your product. Be brave, be challenging, use insight, use data. We use those tools and bring a different point of view to the table. And for me, that makes the difference between what I would call an okay marketeer and somebody who's going to really shift the dial for their firm and their company. And I think that is really important. So, I mean, the, the idea of, of risk taking, I think clearly it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting prospect, uh, but also it's quite a nebulous prospect, I think, also when you talk about, well, we need to be more risky. So, what I'm interested in is to sort of make this a little bit more tangible. When you talk about 
challenging category norms. Um, now, there, there are some notable exceptions where, you know, I think brands have have managed to challenge category norms. But if we were to think about the the sort of the, the standard sort of B2B marketing at the moment, what do you think looks like a challenge to the category norm that would be realistic for B2B marketers to actually sort of work towards? What do you think are those specific areas where B2B marketers should start challenging that category norm? Well, let's just think about it. Uh, let's pick financial services because I've worked mm. in it. There is no, in, in many ways, there is no more duller category. It shouldn't be. It's an emotive buy for all of us. All of us will have loans, credit cards, uh, all of those things. In B2B, though, you really need to think about what you're trying to achieve. So there was a fantastic uh, campaign, I think in the US, actually, which was all about uh, trying to get lawyers and law firms to take lines of credit from a new bank, a brand new bank. And they could have just gone with a normal email, uh, come out, take a loan from with us, we're good for law firms. They could have just come out with the same old bland category, brochure, etc. But actually, they decided not to. The, the boss of that bank, uh, the guy who set it up, it's a, a squire bank, I think, in the U.S., he recognized that law firms in the U.S. advertise very differently to everybody else. It's quite aggressive. It's quite in your face. So he launched a campaign, which is, don't be sorry, call Harry. And Harry is the name of the guy who runs the bank. It was an incredibly successful campaign. And it was successful because it was based on a key insight. The lawyers are competitive that they talk in a certain way and advertise in a certain way, and they use that to their advantage. So Google, uh, the Esquire Bank, Google uh, Ask Gary and see the campaign. It's very clever, it's emotive, it fits perfectly with the category, but it challenged the norms of advertising bank loans to lawyer firms or law firms. It's a very clever campaign. And for me, that's a really good example of something that should be bland, a little beige maybe, but they changed how they took that to market and they changed the whole approach. Funnily enough, it is a campaign that I'm familiar with. Um, I had the, the the good fortune of being on the judging panel for the oh, really? Walk okay. Award for Effectiveness, which was um, presented at Cannes Lions this year. And that campaign was actually on the shortlist. Uh, so yeah, I have I have fond memories of discussing that and talking about the the references which they'd made to popular culture in terms of Better Call Saul, which was very much the play that they'd made. But I think that what was interesting there is they showed a lot of ambition and they did some very very adventurous out of home advertising, but they also took it down to the the micro, very very traditional targeted email marketing approach of yeah. of B two B. And I think that this is what um, is really, really key for B2B marketers to think about or remember when it comes to being risky, being more creative. I think there's an instant assumption that, well, to be more creative, then I've got to do a big out of home poster or I need to do a TVC or something sort of outlandish like that. And actually, the truth is, is that you do that. Certainly, if you do that on its own, it's not going to be effective in B2B. B2B is different from B2C, and you've got to remember that. So it's more thinking about using the traditional channels that I do have and knowing where my audience do show up. How can I actually apply more of a creative thinking to the communication rather than just trying to copy B2C? Yeah. From your observations, do you think that there is almost too much of a simplistic way of talking about being more creative, which is synonymous with 
be like B2C? Uh, I think you need to understand the differences with mm. the audience, exactly what you've just said. So that campaign was successful. One, it looked fantastic, but also, as you said, they really personalized it and took it down in their messaging. And really understanding your audience is absolutely key. I think people often say, we are in B2B, we don't have the budgets, we don't have the same level of creativity that we can push. I think that's a big mistake. I think that's a very big mistake. Uh, you may not always have the budget, but you can certainly think creatively about what you're trying to do and how you wrap that message to get some memorability about it. For me, you know, one of my old bosses used to say to me, what you want is your advertising to be memorable, but memorable for the right reasons. Mm. Anybody can walk around with a giant fish on the head. You'll be memorable, but memorable for the wrong reasons. Really what you want to do is create a memorable campaign that hits an emotive proof point with your audience that they recognize, they feel part of, they see part of themselves in the advertising and respond. So I think uh, I, I looked at this a little while ago. There's a great IPA report, uh, the Gun Report, I think, and they looked at creatively awarded campaigns. And I think it's something like... Of all the campaigns that have won awards over the last few years, most of them drive about 11, 11 times the share growth or the growth in the company. So there are some really key facts here that what people should use when they're talking to the boards, when they're talking to their CEOs about why creativity isn't just they're nice to have or we want to be sexy. It's about because it's memorable and it will drive real growth. And that's really important to me. And I think those tactics work in consumer and B2B, but it's making sure that you really understand who your audience is in B2B because it is very different to B2C. Absolutely. Is. And, I, and I'm gonna, I want to pick up on that whole sort of the um, real compelling business case, which you started, started to talk about, um, but I'm, I'm going to park it just very, very temporarily and actually sort of come back to where you've just ended there, which is around that sort of, un well, actually where you started and ended in terms of your past answer, which is that understanding of the audience, understanding what that emotional driver is. Now, what advice would you give to B2B marketers when it comes to identifying what is the, irrele the relevant emotional cue that you should be going after? Because again, I think that there's almost just instantly a little bit of people feel uncomfortable being like, well, you know, those sort of emotions aren't relevant within B2B. I can't just be sort of trying to make them happy or or sad. So from your experience, when you're thinking about B2B audiences specifically, what is that sort of range of, what, what, is, what part of the emotional spectrum is it that is most relevant? Depends on the sector. So professional services is driven by trust. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Deloitte, EY, ourselves, uh, business people are making a choice about the consultancy they want to work with. Um, what many people don't understand is they can be career damaging decisions. You mm -hmm. get it wrong and that consultancy fails to deliver. That only doesn't damage EY or Deloitte a little bit. Yeah, reputation. It damages you who made the decision. So in professional services, it's about trust. Are you going to enjoy working with these people? Do you have confidence they're going to deliver what they say they deliver and how they deliver? So trust is a big driver in professional services and relationships and how that builds in. So you'll see a lot of the marketing in professional services are based around those emotive cues. 
a more industrial type B2B, uh, let's think, Rockwell. I don't know if you've seen the Rockwell one. Um, by the way, if you're on that judging panel, I promise you I didn't know. But Rockwell, it's building material. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those products that day in, day out, you need to shift, you need to build. Their emotional cue was all about building that would stand for something. Uh, and, and actually, as soon as you say that, it has an emotional pull to you. And when you talk to people who work in the construction industry, these people like to build good buildings. Mm. They like to build things that will stand out. And that was a real emotional cue. So there is always something and it's really digging into it. And what I would always say to people, the one thing I learned from working with a big advertising firm is to spend time really interrogating those emotional truths in the creative brief and doing the insight piece. Because you'll always find something. It's always there. You've just got to dig into it. I hope that sort of makes sense, Benedict. I, I mean, it makes complete sense. And it, 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 it very, very much resonates with the way that we like to sort of view things. And certainly this idea of really interrogating and getting intimate when it comes to the emotional truth. But how do you get to that emotional truth within B2B? What what are the you know almost the practical methodologies which can be be used because in in B two C um, you have very very established sort of systems whether that's focus groups or and so on and so forth but within a B two B context obviously it's a smaller audience group so there isn't quite that same sort of scale that you can you can access so from your experience working in a B two B environment what are the key things you need to get right to get those insights in the first place. I think I spend a lot of time just getting the brief right. I'm really mm. challenging myself from the brief and getting people from outside marketing looking at it. That's really key. You've got to work hand in hand with the business, the people who are dealing with clients. I meet clients. I enjoy meeting clients. It keeps me grounded. Um, you say we don't do focus groups. Actually, I do. Uh, when I did uh, the rebrand of this firm, we did quite a lot of focus groups. And they were fascinating because some people have been with us since 1985. Some people have only just been with us in the last two years. But pulling that together really gave us a focus on what they care about and what matters to them. And that goes back to that trust combination. Mm -hmm. So I do use a combination of those B2C uh, techniques. I may not do the big focus groups that you would have, you know, for a P&G or a Unilever, but I'm certainly testing the market. I'm certainly seeing how people react. And I also listen to the outliers because sometimes in those outliers, there is a truth in there that you just makes you think harder. So I'll give you an example uh, and apologies for this. But when we were rebranding, somebody in one of the focus groups said, nobody creates growth the way you do it. And I thought that was really interesting. Tell me more about that. And actually, that went into our end line. It ended in most of our communication. No one creates growth like we do because we don't do cost cutting. We focus mm. on what's that. It was just that one line. And this wonderful guy brought it to life for us. And we just went, boom. And we tested it. And we kept testing it. And it seemed to work. So those things, I think, are still very relevant, Benedict. Well, I hope you gave him credit for both sort of con conceptual ideation and copywriting as well. So, <laughs> Not quite copyright, but he got a beer or two. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, so and now just to bring it back, and we were talking about the, the the business case, and I think it's 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 lovely how you've you've illustrated some of those examples by that direct experience at um, Simon Kutcher. Now, 
from whether it, whether it's with Simon Critchell, whether it's with a previous um, you know business, what is the resistance that you've typically faced when you've tried to make that business case for an investment in a more emotionally driven campaign, for instance? Oh, this always goes back, and it doesn't matter whether you're B2C or B2B, it's always brand versus demand, brand mm. versus marketing quantified leads. Um, and I don't think it's an and or. I think you can do a little bit of both. If you look at B2B uh, spend generally, it's about 53, 47 uh, brand versus activation. I find boards, whether I am at EY or I'm an external company, are always more interested in driving through to activation. Give me a give me a lead. And that's fine. And I completely get it. And it's part of my job. But they must know and trust you. You have to be top of mind. And that doesn't go away whether you're B2B or B2C. Uh, if you are a challenger brand, you have to invest in the brand. You have to. And maybe in the first few years, you have to make that case for investment in the brand rather than activation. It will flow. I'm a strong believer that if people have you top of mind, top three, you'll make it to the pitch. And that's really important. So it's a battle. It is a battle. Uh, boards are very driven by financial uh, numbers, quite rightly. Uh, you're spending their hard-earned money. Uh, so you have to show a return. So what I try and do is when I do an investment in a brand, I try and show the brand attributes, how we're going to mm -hmm. drive that awareness and how that leads to a change in behavior of buying behavior. That's the tough one. And that's where you need really strong research, really strong understanding of the audience and an independent voice in the room. Uh, and sometimes they don't. you don't want them to say what they're about to say, but it's actually a really good discipline. It's a really good discipline to make sure marketing stays true to itself and delivers what it should be delivering for the firm and the company it's working mm. for. So for me, that's really important. This brand demand, explaining it, explaining why you need both and how they work together yeah. is important. Definitely. I, I really was very interested in terms of what you were saying there about how that sort of brand activity can actually change buying behavior and sort of demonstrating that as you as you referred to now when you've been in those situations are you demonstrating it in a theoretical sense in terms of that this is this psychological explanation for why this would happen look it's intuitive buy into what i'm saying or have you actually been able to over the course of your career accrue the necessary data and proof points which supports that argument because i think that's what marketers often struggle with is like yeah i, I get it makes sense but I, I just don't have that number to win the argument data is it's really interesting so when i first started my career data maybe uh mm. now everything is data driven uh maybe too much we could have a debate about that uh, what I try and do is, first of all, you've got to sell in the rational argument. You have to sell that emotive argument about mm. why you invest in a brand. But you should also have in your back pocket for an investment of why you will reach X. And of those X, I will expect an impact of Y in terms of brand, purchasing intent, etc. Yep. And I think you need to show those numbers because without those numbers, you're literally driving a car without headlights. And you'll lose all credibility with all boards by simply standing up and going, it's a brand awareness exercise. Uh, on something we've recently done, I've had to stand up in board and said, we're going to touch 12 million people. And actually, we've touched 17 million people. And this has made a positive change in these attributes. 
Now, whether they believe you or not is a different matter. So I always, always try and have an independent uh, view on those stats. I think that brings credibility into a boardroom. It brings credibility in front of your key stakeholders as well. And also, if I get it wrong, I'll admit I get it wrong. Uh, and that's a tough one. Right? That's a tough one. I have got it wrong. I, there's a couple of campaigns I've done in my career that didn't hit the targets. But I know why. And that's the important thing. And just out of interest, I mean, you, you spoke there about the stakeholders. You were, you know, almost painting that picture or sitting within a board boardroom opposite a table full of glowering faces, potentially. I, I'm, I'm interested, of the different stakeholders, and they will be representatives of the different functions or divisions within, within a business, who do you typically find are the ones that are really supportive of taking that brand-led approach? And who typically are those detractors that ask you the, the, the toughest questions? I mean, I'm wondering which stakeholders are the ones we really need to work on positioning ourselves with? CFOs have a job to do. Uh, mm. I, uh, I admire any CFO. So I think in my career, certainly not a Simon Kucher, by the way, but a Simon Kucher, this is a marketing firm. They sort of they get it uh, and they sort of get that. But you still have to deliver the numbers. Where I've worked elsewhere, it's typically been on the CFO side of the fence because you're spending money that could go elsewhere mm. and also typically in sales driven parts of the organization because you know those guys and girls uh, are are being charged with driving revenue uh, and they want to see that revenue and they it's great we've got brand awareness but what's that doing for my marketing quantified leads mm. and they want to see a link uh, and as long as you can show that link or you are clearly saying this is a brand campaign and this is a demand generation campaign and these are the differences and this is what you'll get for that. And I think just being very open about it, don't oversell, don't try and BS it and just be open and honest about what you can achieve and realistic about what you cannot do mm. because for you know, if you're spending 100,000 and trying to reach 10 million people, guess what? You're not going to be able to get the number you want to get. So you have to be realistic with people. Typically, CFOs and financial people, but they're paid to challenge you. And a good CMO mm. would welcome the challenge. Not always, yeah. but it, I find it healthy. I mean, in many respects, the um, as you had outlined you know, a few minutes ago, really, if you can support your business case with numbers and proof points and the reason why you should have that confidence that actually should satisfy a cfo it's almost a more simplistic one and there's not the same political tension maybe that there might be with sales because there is a little bit of a territorial dispute occasionally when it comes to to sales to put yeah. it sort of put it put it mildly um so i i think that what, what you said there about um Com communicating to them about how it's going to make that impact in terms of not marketing quality, how it's going to help them is, is so, so key. What, what I'm interested in is um, from your, if you were to look over the course, maybe of the past five, 10 years, do you feel that sales have now become more receptive and understanding of the role that a big brand campaign can play? Or do you feel that they have become less receptive? And just to sort of further qualify that, the reason I'm interested is that the dynamics of sales as, as of marketing have changed quite fundamentally um, over that, that period of time um, as the sort of the, the whole buyer journey is increasingly a remote experience when people are doing their own, their own research and sales come in that much later. So, yeah, what, what do you feel that shift has been in terms of sales attitudes? 
I think if you have a good sales director, and I've worked in, in previous existence with a good sales director, and we sat down, and he understood top of funnel. Mm -hmm. And he took me through the bottom of funnel and what he needed out of it. And we work very much hand in hand. I think the, it has changed. I think you've got some very sophisticated sales directors out there. And they challenge marketing, but I find it quite an interesting challenge. Uh, I think also the professionalization of sales over the last 10 years, in the same way marketing has, has improved that dialogue. Is it perfect? No, because at the end of the day, we're all driven by targets and goals. And you'll always have that tension. It's whether that tension is a healthy one or not. Mm -hmm. And our job together with sales and marketing is to make it a healthy tension. We should be questioning each other. When I pass an MQL, I want to know how good that lead is. I want to know whether or not we're getting it right in passing that quality lead. Is it a quality lead? Give me some feedback. Help me adjust my targeting. Uh, those sort of things are really, really important. The days when I used to get on a brief from a sales department, hit the C-suite, that's all it would say. It would say, hit the C-suite, and you go, huh? Um, it's got a lot better, uh, and there's a lot more awareness. So I would say to any CMO, uh, make your sales director your best friend, because actually you can work really well together and learn from each other. Uh, and I really, really do mean that. I've got a relative who works in sales for a big uh, electric company. And sometimes we have some ding-dongs around the dinner table, but I always <laughs> learn from it. Here's, here's between top of funnel, bottom of funnel. Yeah. Uh, my view is drive a sale, drive a relationship. Uh, it's all about timing, I think. Timing is really important in this business. We all know brand campaigns. A good brand campaign takes 18 months, three years to really land, really move the dial. And that's a year on year investment. You can do, uh, you know, you can do sales activity, very tactical, that drive up volume, but it takes time and you need to learn from each other. You really do need to learn from each other. It all, it all comes down to understanding your audience. In this particular case, sales are your audience. So understand what their drivers are, what they care about and what they need to achieve. Yeah, and I'd say, <laughs> I know it sounds really uh, intrinsically straightforward. If you're working in a sales organization and you haven't been out with your sales director and met a few clients, ask yourself why. Absolutely. The, the amount you can gain from those unstructured opportunities of meeting people in a qualitative sense is, is just unrivaled mm -hmm. um and mark I've, I've really really enjoyed this conversation i think it's been absolutely fascinating and uh, <laughs> in many respects it tees up very very nicely our house question um which is all about the power of creativity and the power of emotionally driven marketing um, so I'm fascinated to know, when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing? Could be uh, an advert, could be a piece of comms, could be you know a meme, it could be almost, could be anything that really made you feel it in your guts, that moved you on a deep emotional level? I'm going to be controversial. Uh, I'm going to step away from B2B. Uh, after the COVID pandemic, the first ad I think I saw was the Virgin ad, I am what I am which really spoke to individuality of A, the crew who fly for Virgin Airlines, mm. but also to the brand promise of Virgin. Now, it was controversial. Not everybody liked that, but it was brave. It's memorable. It speaks to the truth of what Virgin is all about. And it always brings a smile to my face, even when I'm going through Heathrow Airport and I see a Virgin crew go past. 
So I think it's a great advert. I think it's beautifully done. And it speaks to an insight that's absolutely key about the individuality of Virgin as an airline and its crew, and also the type of customers they want on it. So for me, that's the one that got hit me after COVID. I may be a bit more emotional than I should have been after COVID, but that's the one that hit me. Yeah. Um, but I also see some really good stuff in uh, B2B. BMY uh, Mellon, uh, fantastic investment bank. They did one on the pathway to inclusive investment. Sounds terribly dull. Everybody just Google it. Just Google it. Uh, the most underserved population on investment is women. They came up with a beautiful campaign. Uh, it's all about how do we get more women investing in things that matter. And it spoke to 3 million, three million women in a very short space of time and had a huge impact. So there's one on, on consumer. There's one on B2B. Very different campaigns. But they've had a, an emotional pull, particularly on how that investment uh, with that chosen audience could make a difference to the world. It's quite a clever campaign. A a absolutely. And I think that um, there, there is a lot you, know, you alluded to that ties those two together, which is the idea of a real truth or an insight. And I, I sometimes think, I mean, look, as to be fair, it's the same in, in B2C, but you can have um, the most extravagant um creative production but if it's not based on a truth which is you know compelling and is true it won't be powerful and i think this is what b2b need to really remember is that yes we may not have some of the budgets which our b2c cousins have um we may not be operating in on the same platforms that some of our b2c cousins have However, if we do arrive at that truth, which is undeniable, then it will be powerful almost however you execute it. Now, that comes with a little bit of an asterisk because clearly there is a lot to, to make sure you do communicate it right. But I think it's this idea of the insight, which is actually king. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great and I think it's a really uplifting way for B2B marketers to, to think about things because it becomes so much more accessible. If you invest in finding that powerful insight, you will have powerful marketing. Um, exactly. exactly. And think about it's hard to get that insight, everybody. I wish I could do it every day. I can't. But I also get good people around me, whether that's a great yeah. agency, great planner or great team members who will just go, hold on, Mark, you may be CMO, but have you thought of this? And that challenge can sometimes deliver a beautiful gem of an idea. So I'd encourage that. Come down off our ivory towers a little bit, listen a bit more, challenge a little bit more and be a bit more brave. Absolutely great. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much for joining me on the podcast. And yeah, um, look forward to welcoming you on again soon. Take care. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.